0: Good morning and welcome back to church. If you're watching online, we uh, hope you've enjoyed the series that we're in, and uh, Cadence. We finish up today with our last installment on that as we talk about cadences, that rhythm, um, that timing, and we're talking about being in sync with God as we start off this year. So a little quick review. Week one, we looked at the rhythm or the cadence of creation, uh, how God created the very beginning things in a certain order and then he created mankind to fit into that that cadence. Week two we talked about the cadence that's hardwired in every individual how God created us with the day and the night and how our physiological or biological body works to be in sync with that and if we get out of sync we call that chaos and we've all experienced chaos. Uh, Last week we looked at the importance of our relationship with others in the cadence of community. That God has designed us to be in fellowship, in conjunction with others, and not just being there physically, but to be there personally and involved. And uh, last week we started talking about the, the importance of fellowship and communion, that Jesus did that communion in a group. He didn't just do it by himself, but he did it in a group with those closest to him and that upper room that we read about that Ken so eloquently just shared about this morning. And it was meant to be in communion personally, individually, and in communion with God, and so part of that is that we're looking at today, and our last is maintaining a healthy cadence, a rhythm uh, of being in sync with God throughout our lives, because there are those times that we get out of sync, again we've called that chaos, when our life just seems to be going haywire and a mess and all over the place, we don't have that sense of closeness to God, and, and our world just seems to be falling apart. And as we add all these up, we realize the importance of being in sync with God and God's cadence that uh, that chaos place is not a fun place to be, is it? When our life is in chaos, it's just, I mean, it's just not good. So that's what we want to avoid. So let's pray quickly. Lord Jesus, we ask you to be here with our presence. We thank you for the blessings once again of all you've provided with. Uh, through um, those who are faithful to you with the building and the ongoing ministry and all that you've been able to do. We thank you for joining us this morning. Lord, as we wrap up this short series, uh, we pray that we would be in sync with you as we begin this, this new year, that we would start off the new year aligned in you, in a correct alignment, Lord, that we would be in your presence and submissive to your spirit, Lord, to the complete word of God. Lord, that we would be doers of the word and not hear. Here is only, and that Lord, our lives would not be in chaos, that we would not live in fear, but in the security and faithfulness of your word, and that our future is in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've probably heard the common saying it's not how you start, but it's what? How you finish. So, we started off the series saying that starting was important, right? Because you've got to get in line, in sync, you've got to be on the right path. And now we're switching that gear because we're looking long term to the point of it's not so much how we start, although we do want to start on the right path. And we kind of take that in a little side note saying that all of us started off what? As sinners, unholy, uh, rebellers, enemies of God. So we know that's where our lives actually started before salvation. And some point we came to that salvation and we start off the year saying, well, we need to be in line with God this year. With all the craziness that Ken talked about in Communion, this is not the first time that the world history has had these crazy things. just a little bit different. It's just our time, but we do want to be in sync with God. But now we look at the fact, in this last installment of Cadence, that it's long-term. And it's not how we start, but it's how we finish. As Paul states, how we finish the race of our Christian life. Christianity has been compared to running a marathon not a sprint, right? Well, I have personally never run a marathon. Now, in high school, I did long distance. I did a little track and field. I did that stuff, but I've never run a marathon. But one thing I did do was I spent my high school years doing wrestling. Now, wrestling, I admit, is one of those weird sports, right? It's just not the prettiest sport in the world. I mean, we watch basketball. We watch football. We watch baseball. We even watch golf on TV. But you don't see people tuning in on a saturday afternoon to watch wrestling because it's just it's a strange sport it's a team sport where everyone has to work together in a team but it's also an individual sport that you have to prove yourself individually to someone equal to your power and it comes down to this issue of how you finish wrestling is set up in three Or, yeah, three two-minute matches, so the whole time you're on the mat is only six minutes. Now, that doesn't seem like much, does it? But I'll tell you what, from experience, when you are going full bore all out for six minutes, constantly against an opponent, it wears you out. And a lot of times, although wrestling is about technique, it's also tremendously about endurance and finishing well about being that individual who can outlast endurance and persevering that other individual. So it kind of goes like this. First period comes, you both start upright, you're facing each other, you got 120 seconds, they say go, and bam, you just go at each other full bore with everything you've got. Trying to take them down, to grab hold of them, to to make them submit to you, to pin them on their back. Also, defending yourself. I mean, it's just like, I don't know if you've ever seen the National Geographic thing, where you got two elephants that are just bouncing up against each other. I mean, this is just full bore contact. Then you have a break, for a short minute. Then you start off in the second round. Well, by now you are sweating like a man eating ghost peppers. I mean, it's just sweats pouring down out of your body. You feel the lactic acid begin to come into your muscles and you're tired a little bit, you're worn out, and the whistle blows in two more minutes of grabbing, defending, pushing, pulling, throwing, all this stuff, and then you get a break. Then round three starts, period three. And what I remember is this, your forearms are just so numb from trying to hold on and grip your opponent and actually if you've been doing that for a long time, your legs and your arms are just weak, you feel like just like painful jello all over your body and your fingers actually start to curl up because you've been gripping so hard, your muscles are reacting and you can't always grip as well. You've got to pant for every breath and reach for every breath. Your body is just saying give up, we're done, we're over. Your mind's saying, look, this is only six minutes, but your body's arguing back, and it feels like an eternity. And it comes down in those last six minutes, or those last couple seconds, if you do the distance, that it's not about the adrenaline you had when you first started. Because when you first started, you were gung-ho, filled with adrenaline, filled with energy and excitement. And now, in the last couple seconds of the match, it's down to endurance and perseverance, and the sheer will to not only finish, but to overcome your opponent finally by points or a pin and win. And when you are done, if you've had that six minute battle, just like those who run a marathon, you are exhausted. Completely exhausted and spent. Sometimes our Christian lives feel like that, don't we? I mean, we have those times where we are just going, going, going. It's good, exciting. It's like that first period. We hit that second period in life, and it's like, well, I'm a little haggard right now. I'm a little worn out. I mean, I've got a little wear and tear of life. And then sometimes we feel like our life is in that third period. We are exhausted. We are spent. We are done. And literally, we are pushing on by sheer will and pushing to have that time with God daily to spend time with him because we realize how important it is that we finish well and then irrelevant of how we feel or irrelevant of what is going on physically in our body for example those that are struggling through say cancer or some other debilitating disease that we have to finish well for the upward call of Jesus Christ and that is not always easy I'm sure we can all relate with that we've had those times in life where we have just had to push forward through sheer will in our Christian faith. I wonder sometimes if that's what Jesus did going to the cross. After being tortured, and beaten, and mocked, and carrying that cross up, even with the help of another person carrying a crossbeam, to be on that cross to know that here he is, completely exhausted. I mean, medical doctors say that at that point most men would already be dead. And here he is fighting with every last breath to get to the point that he goes and he says, it is finished. And in that we see a beautiful picture of his desire to finish well, to persevere, because there's the one criminal on the one side that begs for Jesus to remember him. And even in that time, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And I think about that in my own life and I'm like, if I have been beaten and tortured and mocked and hit and spit on and rejected and had to carry this cross up the hill and then had the nails driven in my wrist and ankles and I'm hanging there with my chest caving in and collapsing from the pressure of that, in my own personal pride, I probably wouldn't have time for anybody else because of my own personal suffering. But Jesus endured to the end until it was complete. He finished the race, the ministry that his father had called him to, and we, as a consequence, share in the blessing and beauty of all that. So that's what we're talking about now, that it's not how we start, but it's how we finish. A lifetime of serving God and finishing well. So if you wanna turn with me, we're gonna be in 2 Timothy chapter four, It's a New Testament letter that the Apostle Paul is writing his young protege, Timothy. Timothy is a young minister who's grown up in the faith, has tremendous faith in God, tremendous dedication, and Timothy was now dealing with his own church, leading them as a pastor, and this church was filled with obstinate, prideful, arrogant people that Timothy was always having to correct. And I'm sure as Paul is writing to Timothy, he can imagine in his own mind that Timothy is probably frustrated because most ministers that start off, if they go to seminary or they get involved in a church, just like most people that get in ministry think, this is gonna be so great, everyone's gonna love me, they're gonna think my messages are tremendous, things are just gonna flourish, there'll never be any problems, and ministry is everything but that. You have people constantly coming against you in most churches there are the fights in the advisory boards, there's people wanting to go astray in their own way, there's people taking advantage of other people, and you're always fighting that. So I'm sure as Paul is thinking about this from his own life and his own ministry, Paul is writing to Timothy to say, Timothy, don't get up, but continue the ministry that God has ordained you and called you to, and Timothy, let me share with you from my own life what it's like to persevere, to stay in that cadence, to stay in a rhythm in sync with God, your entire life, and finish well. So Paul writes from his own life, and I think these are encouraging words for us, um, as we go through good and bad times in our life, as we we struggle as Christians to feel close to God, as we sometimes have those those issues where Christians have been Christians for decades and they've just lost that spark, they've kind of stepped away from their first love, and they need to get back in sync with God and finish will, to finish the ministry that God has called and ordained us to do. So Paul writes this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse six to eight. Paul says, "'For I am already being poured out like a drink offering,' which indicates Paul is probably close to death. "'And at the time of my departure has come,' here's where we wanna focus, verse seven, I have fought the what? The The good fight. He puts that adjective there. He goes, this fight that I have fought in my life, the fight to stay close to God, to do the ministry, to stand firm for God, it has been a good fight. It's not a, a vain fight or a useless fight. It's a good fight that I have fought. He says, I have finished the course and I have kept the faith in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award me on that day and not only me but also all who have loved his appearing and those are interesting words that often times i think people take out of out of context because people are like well jesus is the, the the god of love and and if i just feel love then The love of Jesus will cover me and cover everything, but Jesus also goes on to say something interesting. He says, those who love me will do something. Do you remember what that is? They will obey my commands, my Father's commands. So when Paul speaks of this, well, also for all those who have loved Jesus' appearing, his presence when Jesus was there before his resurrection, and at his resurrection, Paul is indicating To love God, to love Jesus, isn't just a feeling. It's not just a free pass, a get by easy on your own. It's about showing the love that you have for Jesus in obedience. And that means for us as Christians, to finish the race, to fight the good fight, to keep the faith, and to finish well as we stay in that obedience of being in that cadence with God. So three things in verse seven that Paul points out. He says, I fought the good fight. We take that to heart because in our time on earth when Jesus has come and brought us salvation, we face battles, don't we? We face all kinds of battles. And sometimes we just don't feel like getting up and going at it. I'm sure for those in the military, that if they're out in the battlefield and they've been in the trenches and things have been hard and and they've been fighting and they're dirty and filthy or maybe wounded and sore and the bullets are flying, I'm sure they don't feel like going to battle. They'd probably be home or somewhere safe or on a helicopter out of the fight. But the call is to stay in the battle. And for us, that's important because we too need to fight this good fight. It's a good thing, a good ministry that God has given us. It's a good work that he has done in us in salvation and supplied the Holy Spirit and called us to a purpose for the blessing of others and the upward call of Christ, for the sharing of the gospel. It's a good thing that impacts lives and the world. And therefore, we need to stay in the fight. Feeling like it or not, part of the cadence of being in line with God Is fighting that good fight we read this in Ephesians 6 verse 12 of why this is important to stay in cadence with God as we fight this fight it says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places you see we have this battle that we're fighting it is a fight From the moment you come to salvation, if you don't realize this, the battle begins. Because up until that point, Satan has you in his grasp. Whether you admit it or not, Satan is your God. He has complete control of you physically, emotionally, socially, and especially spiritually. But in salvation, we are ripped out of the grasp of Satan and we are put into God's kingdom and in God's care And Satan doesn't like that. And so the spiritual battle begins. And it's a fight. It's a fight for the rest of our life to attain that crown of glory that God promises us. Paul, from his own life, talks about what that spiritual battle entailed for him as it played out in a physical realm. That As we look at the life of Paul, we realize that Paul had to fight to finish well. He had to fight that good fight, but it took effort, it took sacrifice, it took cost. If you look in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, we read about the numerous times that Satan tried to cut in and discourage Paul from finishing this good fight, from to try and get him to give up. We talked about the time that he was stoned with rocks in Listeria, in Lystra, It says in Acts 14, 19 and 20, it says, But the Jews came from Antioch and and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, supposing him for dead. Now here's the question we start with right here. If for your faith someone had come in against the faith and convinced the crowds to side with them, and everyone picked up rocks and threw them out, at you and beat you down until you were unconscious and left for dead, they dragged you out of the city. Would you stop being a Christian? That's a high call, isn't it? I mean, that's sacrifice. There are a lot of people, a lot of churchgoers who would say, I didn't buy into Christianity for this. I bought in for a good life, a happy life. I I bought in so God would bless me. I don't want to have to suffer for Christ. I don't want to have to endure and persevere for Christ. paul did in fact that one point of being hit down with stones until he's unconscious and dragged out of the city and left for dead wasn't the only point that he struggled we go forward in acts 27 we read in acts 27 verses 41 on about paul is in prison he's in chains on a boat and the boat becomes ship shipwrecked it says starting verse 41 it says but striking the reef where the two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the forces of waves, and the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept him from their intentions and commanded that all those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land, and when they had been brought safely through, then they found that the island was called Malta. So here we see Paul has been stoned and left for dead. Most churchgoers, in Christ's name only, would give up at that point. But now we see Paul is a prisoner for the sake of spreading the gospel, He's in the ship and gets busted up. He has to swim the shore and there's a whole story that goes on in Acts 27 about what happens after that when he gets there. He's bit by a viper. They think he's gonna die, he doesn't die, and all this stuff goes on. There are those in churches that when bad things happen, there's a car accident, there's a family member die, there's that diagnosis of diabetes or cancer or leukemia or something else, they're like, Pfft. I am so done. God has been against me. God is not for me. He should be blessing me and healing me and loving me. And that's not what the word of God says. There were those times that Jesus healed. But when we read the New Testament, we read of those that he healed and showed on their faith and brought them to salvation. Even some that didn't have faith, he healed them. But he still left hundreds of people unhealed. The Bible never promises that if we are in Christ, life will be rosy. And many choose when life gets hard, unpredictable, unplanned, and especially physically or emotionally or even financially painful, there are many that throw in the towel. And that's why we have to remember what Paul said, to fight the good fight, to stay in, period one, period two, and period three, until the end to finish well. We also learn that that wasn't the end of Paul's torturing during his time in salvation. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 11, we read about the fact that Paul was whipped five times for keeping his faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 24 and 25 state this. Paul writes, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Now I want you to stop. Remember that. The Jewish law was you couldn't have 40 lashes because 40 may kill you. It may be too much. They stopped at 39. And often when they gave you those lashes, there were pieces of shards of metal or glass or broken pottery tied to the end of those lashes, <coughs> meant to cause and inflict severe pain and punishment. So Paul says, five times I went through this. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now you picture that. Paul's out there probably in some dirt area, and the guards are around him with these wooden staffs just beating him. Three times he went through that. I was shipwrecked a day and a night, and I have spent time in the deep. It cost Paul to serve God, didn't it? It cost Paul to be a Christian and to fight the good fight, to stay in the game, to stay in cadence with God. So the question is, why would Paul do it? Why would anybody endure that? Most churchgoers, when any of these things happen, will be like, "Uh uh-uh, that is just asking too much. Well, Paul knew that as he didn't start well as a Pharisee of Pharisees, actually having a mission to torture and kill and destroy the church of Jesus Christ. When Paul came to salvation on that road to Damascus and God spoke to him, Paul realized, one, what Jesus had gone through for him, to redeem him in salvation. Two, that God had a plan in his life was temporary. And three, that there was more. And four, that God had given Paul a purpose in his faith. And the call was to let nothing stop that purpose. I remember when wrestling, I used to stick up Philippians 4.13 all over my locker, my car, everywhere. Which says, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Realizing that my strength didn't come from me. Now I had to work out. I had to practice. I had to run. I had to be in good physical shape. I had to be in good mental shape. I had to eat well. I had to diet right. I had to go out and in the battle. But it was God's strength that sustained me. That's what got me through. We realize that as we fight this good fight, it is a good fight. There's purpose in it. There's 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 great blessing in fighting this good fight to show up before Jesus, and be said, be, be confronted with these words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Translation. Good job for enduring. Good job for persevering. Good job for staying in cadence and then sync with me as God. And good job for finishing. Good job for persevering and going the distance until you are done. You have finished the ministry I've given you. Good job you have endured. Hebrews 12 gives us these encouraging words that I'm sure paul was so familiar with in his relationship with god of why he kept fighting the good fight hebrews 12 verses 1 3 says this therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us how do we do that Well, it tells us, fixing our eyes on who? On Jesus. Now that's key. Because most often when people go through any form of suffering, whether it's physical or relational or emotional, their eyes are focused on who? On them. And how bad and how rough it is, and don't people care, and how hard it is. And here we read right here, we run this race with endurance, Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set set before him endured the cross. Do you catch that? For the joy Jesus endured the cross because he knew the consequence of what that endurance would do. It would bring us back in the right relationship with creator and creation. It would forgive us of, of sins. It would fill us with the Holy Spirit. It would put us back in touch with God and in relationship with him, in the rightful way things should be. So with joy, Jesus did that. So in our suffering, how should we suffer with joy? Knowing that God has a divine purpose for us in that. And it goes on, it says, and he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not, catch these encouraging words, so that you will not what? Grow weary and lose heart. There's the temptation Satan tries to plant in your mind and in your spirit and your heart. He wants you to believe that you are just so tired and weary, and just to lose heart, to lose faith in God. That's what he wants you to do, to be in despair. And the writer of Hebrews says, "'Now fix your eyes on Jesus, "'who joyfully went to the cross "'because of what it would produce, "'to finish the race and to finish it well.'" That's what Paul knew. And as Ken shared this morning in communion, as Jesus offered up the cup and the bread, the symbols of his body broken for us and his blood shed for us in the new covenant, he thanked God the Father for those, knowing that the bread, the symbol of his body, would be broken, the blood, the juice, the symbol of Christ's blood, would be shed. And Jesus gave thanks for that. It was a good thing because of what it would accomplish. Oftentimes when we fight the good fight, that's what we have to remember to be in cadence with God, to get our eyes off of ourself and our own personal suffering, to put our eyes on Jesus, to remember the joy that took him to the cross and he was thankful for that because of what it would accomplish. And we need to follow in those footsteps because we are fighting the good fight and we will not, because of the Holy Spirit in us and God's promise in us, grow weary or lose heart. We will finish race well that god has set before us that's the upward call of jesus christ in our lives paul says a second thing in verse seven he says i have fought the good fight i have finished the race paul knows that his life is potentially coming to an end as we all are guaranteed death right but paul lived a life of passionate pursuit of faith after coming to salvation the radical change from going from a persecutor of the church to a preserver of the church he wanted to finish the race and that's part of the message for us today to, today is also that we would finish this race well in our life John sixteen thirty three. Jesus states, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome it. Now there's about 12 sermons in that one verse. And I want to break it down shortly, but not do 12 sermons. Sound good? He says, Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you. In other words, Jesus says, I've told you these things so you will be in the know. You'll be prepared. It's like when I would go out on the mat for those six minutes, my coach would come up and be like, okay, John, you're going to go out there and you're going to face this opponent. It's going to be challenging, but you've put the time in, you've put the practice and the effort in. You've got the whole team behind you. Now go out and win. Jesus says, I've I've told you these things, so that in me, again, in Christ, not focus on ourselves, but focus on Jesus, you may have peace. And everyone goes, woo, woo, we like peace, peace is good. To be at peace in heart, to be at peace in life, that's good. And then Jesus says this, in the world, you're gonna have tribulation. Wait a minute, didn't you just promise me peace? And now you're telling me I'm gonna have trouble yeah we read in the New Testament that in God there is a peace that passes comprehension and understanding because our security our strength our future our hope our well-being even right now our entire future is held in the hands of Jesus Christ It's not about what's going on in our life. It's not about what's going on in the world. There's gonna be challenges. We read earlier about the spiritual battle that goes on when we come to salvation. There will be challenges. But as God is in us and we realize the big picture and what God is trying to accomplish in us and through us, we can have peace. And then Jesus goes on after saying, yeah, you're gonna have trouble. He says, but here's just a little quick hint reminder, take." courage When I read those words, I kind of get this odd picture in my mind It's like Jesus has this basket full of this thing called courage that we're desiring and he takes this basket and He says here take some courage It's like he offers this to us and our response should be what? To reach in and take some courage and he says why should you take courage? Why should you have courage in the sight of this tribulation? He says because I have overcome the world we know this fight is temporary and so we need to finish the fight Psalms 91 gives us some more encouraging words about persevering and persisting and being in cadence with God whether we are having a good life or we are allowed the ministry of suffering with Christ The psalmist writes this in Psalm 91, verses 1 to 3. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. You see, God is a place of refuge for us. God doesn't promise wine and roses all the time. He says very clearly, we're gonna have tribulation, we're gonna have chaos, but God says, come back to me because I will be your fortress, I will be your peace, I will be your rest. Come unto me all you who are, who are weary and heavy laden. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. We need to go back and drink from the well of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I know one thing that happened after I would wrestle those three rounds was the first thing I wanted after I sat down and recovered a little bit was I wanted to rehydrate because I had sweat out so much. I was thirsty. You know, you can't rehydrate from a dry well, can you? In fact, it's it's exceedingly disappointing. When we try and place our security and our future in the things of this world. That's like trying to rehydrate with a dry well. Jesus, in essence, calls us to come back to the living water, to be in cadence and sync with him. We read over and over in scripture where he promises that peace. And he knows we're going to get tired. And he says, when you get tired, and you get weary and heavy laden, come back to me. He goes, I'll rehydrate you. I'll re-energize you. I will give you what you need to press on and go forward. You read in that great book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, about all those who suffered for the sake of Christ and kept going, and we say, how could they do that? Because their lives were in sync with Jesus Christ, their focus was on the upward call of Christ and the goal of what God had planted in their ministry, and they constantly went back to God to become rehydrated and re-nourished. And that's what we need to do to finish the race well. Go back to God, stay in God, because He is the one who nourishes us. And finally, Paul says, in verse 7 of 2 Timothy 4, he says this, He has kept the faith. He has kept the faith. The key word in there isn't so much faith. The key word in that statement is kept. Is kept. We read over and over in the New Testament about people who have lost something. Jesus says the the, the the kingdom of heaven is like this. He talks about a woman who lost a precious coin and searched all over, and when she found it, she rejoiced. Well, one time we were out of sync with God in chaos. We were enemies of God, and we had salvation, and God gave us a measure of faith in that salvation. Our call is to keep that faith, to guard it, protect it, to hold on to it, to not let it go, to not let it run away from us or drip through our hands. We need to keep the faith. Because have you ever been in a place in your life when you've lost or given up your faith? We typically don't lose our faith, but there are times we give up our faith because we don't stay in relationship with God. We step away from God. And we say, Lord, you're great. You've been good for a time. This faith thing is nice, but, you know, I think I'm going to try life on my own a little bit. And we wander from God. What is it like to give up your faith? It's not good. Again, in our series, we call that chaos. Because we make poor mistakes for ourselves, financially, for life, for relationships. We put our focus and other things that we think will bring us happiness and joy. And in the end we get burned every time and life ends up worse than before. And we are dried out, dehydrated, thirsty and hungry, and there is nothing nourishing there. And then we become bitter and angry and sarcastic or depressed. We have to keep our faith to be in cadence with God we have to hold on to that faith and make sure that that faith is nourished in Christ and blessed so as we close today I want to ask two questions as we wrap up number one how much like Paul talked about about that heavenly prize that awaits him how much Do you want that heavenly heavenly prize from Jesus? How much do you want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the kingdom of heaven prepared for you from the foundations of the world. How much do you want that? Do you want it a lot? Do you want it a little? I believe as a Christian, if you have tasted the goodness of salvation, you're gonna desire that a lot. And question number two, what would it be like and what would it take for you to echo the words of the Apostle Paul that states, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. What would you be willing to do to at the end of your life, as your family is gathered around and you're taking your last breath to be able to emulate and reinstate those same words to those around you and say that in my life, I am dying now, but in my life here in Jesus Christ, family, I want you to know it's all good. Because I fought the good fight, I stayed in the fight, I didn't give up, I didn't quit. I have finished the race, I did the ministry that Jesus called me to do, irrelevant of what everybody else did. And I have kept the faith. I never gave it up. And if I felt it waning from my hands, I grabbed hold of it again. You see, a healthy rhythm and cadence in God comes down to this. Intention and discipline and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. We read last week that the verses said that God did not give us a spirit of timidness or fear. But of self-discipline. Those are radically different things. In our world, it's easy to be timid and fearful and anxious. God says, get away with that. That's that sin that so easily entangles you. Throw that aside and hold on to your faith. Come to the peace giver, the rest giver, the encourager. Jesus says, I gave you a spirit of self-discipline and I gave you the Holy Spirit who will instruct you in self-discipline. Rely on that. And here's our personal wall. For most of us, we don't like that word self-discipline, do we? We don't like what that entails because that means (laughs) effort. Regular, ongoing effort. Now, we know the consequence of discipline. But we don't like to have to put ourselves up there because we want life to be an easy ride, right? And that's not what the Bible tells us is great. tells us to be self-disciplined in staying in God and keeping the faith and God provides that strength for us to do that but that means we must be intentional about our faith we can't do it lackluster we can't just do a little here and there and think we'll be okay read a little bit of the Bible read the Psalms a little bit go to church once in a while hear a sermon on the radio sing a few Christian songs say a prayer we must be intentional and determined about our faith we must practice and discipline ourselves for the life of godliness and let me tell you why if nothing else and maybe this part will ring home because when we don't do that and we have a so-so faith a, eh, it's okay faith a once in a while faith we're gonna have chaos in our lives we're gonna struggle We're going to get dehydrated. We're going to be hungry. And we stand the fact of giving up our faith and falling in in what Jesus told us not to do, of having a spirit of fear and timidness and anxiety and depression. And Paul clearly tells us to put, or Hebrews tells us to put those things away. And that's something we have to do intentionally, You ever let your house get dirty and filthy and the dishes and everything pile up? You have to be intentional about cleaning them, don't you? You may not feel like it, but you know what needs to be done. You must be intentional about it. And Hebrews says, all those things that hinder you, put them away intentionally. And intentionally replace that by seeking and staying close to God. So we come back to our analogy of Christianity as a marathon. Now, we may not set out to run a marathon intentionally in our mind, but I guarantee you that all of us can run a marathon. We just may run it really slow, and instead of three or four hours, it may take us a week <laughs> or two, with a lot of rest in between, right? But we can do it. It's not out of our grasp and out of our reach. We may not be able to do it like those do in Boston, of having an American. Just keep pushing forward and running little races here and there, and we keep moving forward. And that's where we end on this cadence with God that I want to encourage you. That same adage that in this race with God, it's not so much how you started. Because we all started as sinners, needing a savior, needing salvation needing our lives to be about Jesus Christ and not about us. It's how we finish that's important. So set your heart to fight the good fight, to run the good race, and to keep the faith because you know the reward of what that entails. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you that you have a higher calling than the easiness, the complacency, the laziness of the world. That Lord, we know that we are in a battle and we know we have to fight, we know that we have to be intentional, but we also know we're not doing it alone, that you have given us the Holy Spirit to teach us discipline over a lifetime. Lord, help us to embrace that lesson and to learn that lesson in our lives, that like Paul, we would proclaim that we have done all that you have called us to do. We have not quit. We have not become weary or fearful or timid, but we have stayed in you in the joy and the peace and the thanksgiving that you have for us. Lord, may we glorify you with our very lives. For in salvation, it's no longer I that live, but the life that I now live, I live for Jesus Christ.